Well, good morning. Well, it is it is good to be here. Uh, well, we're into a new year. I hope uh, I hope it's starting well with everybody. It's starting much better for us. We started the year off last year on a ski trip, and everybody got sick or injured. So we're doing better than that. Um, <clears throat> this morning, we are going to be continuing with uh, the study that I've been doing through the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, uh, would you open them up to Acts chapter 6? We're going to be at the beginning of Acts chapter 6. And uh, before I, I pray, I do want to just give some acknowledgments here today. Uh, thankful uh, that my, my parents are here. I suggested that since my mom didn't give me any present, uh, I said, well, you could come to church and so she's like, well, that's a great idea, so I'm really glad. I love my mom and my dad. Um, wow, you want to talk about persevering for them to have to put up with me? They are people who can who know what perseverance really is, so I'm really glad. Also, I want to uh, acknowledge that a uh, pastor from uh, uh, Buffalo Valley, Paul Priest. That's so funny. Uh, Paul and Charlie, we're glad you guys are here. And... Uh, and our director of missions, where's Bob hiding, Bob? Oh, there you go. We're glad you guys are here this morning uh, also. Uh, and uh, we got some people that have moved here. Uh, actually, this young man preached last Sunday, and that's, that's rough. i got to be honest. I've been preaching for a long time, and I hear him preach, and I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, I, I'm still hoping to get there, but... Uh, Anyway, Dexter and Raina, they've moved to Ada. They're going to be a part of our church, and we're so glad they're here. Now, with that being said, I'm going to read the text, and I'm going to pray. And Paul's already made his shot at me about ending on time. So I'm in Acts chapter 6, and uh, Kathy, you'll be glad to know that I am in the New American Standard, the real Bible this morning. So it says in verse 1, it says, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number... A complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying... They laid their hands on them. And then in verse 7 it says, The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Father, this morning I bow in your presence, God. Uh, it's, it's not often that I feel quite as prepared as I do today, and that frightens me. So, Lord, I need your grace right now. Take the thoughts, the, the word. God, let it be a clear message 
Let it be your word, God. I pray that in this today, that God, that you would get glory for yourself. Oh, that your word would be proclaimed and that Jesus would be exalted. In his name we pray, amen. Well, we're coming to another of the first in the church in the book of Acts. And so what do we see here? Even though the word is not mentioned in these first six, seven verses, what we see happening is here is we see the ordaining of the first deacons in the church. And uh, so t- today what we're going to look at, we're going to look at basically three things that is taught in this passage And so if you're taking notes, the first one is, why were deacons needed? The second one is going to be, and what do deacons do? And thirdly, what are the qualifications for a deacon? But first of all, we just need to ask the question of this, what is a deacon? And I'll just be honest, you go into churches and it's a mystery. Um, There's a lot of different theories and thoughts, but... But basically, the simple answer is a deacon is someone who serves. That's, that's simply it. Now, in one sense, in one way of saying it, every member of the body of Christ is a servant. So in a general sense, we would all be considered deacons like that. But we're talking about something significantly different here. Um, now, one thing you need to know about this, the word deacon is it's, it's not a servant in the sense of the word doulos, a slave, something that is like forced on someone involuntarily. But no, this word is more in the line of the Greek word therapon, which is an attendant. It's someone who comes alongside to serve, to help. And so that's one thing we need to understand. Now, we're going to go to the first question and look at this. Why were deacons needed? I mean, we come to this part in the book of Acts. I mean, they, they've been writing the chapter before us. They've preaching the gospel, you know, been, been beaten, you know, for preaching it and all these things. And we come to, to chapter 6. Now, listen to this. It says, now, at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number. Now, there's something important to understand and we have felt this, and in, in I think we're almost on the verge of being called a mega church, right? I mean, when you've been a house church, this looks mega, you know. Now, if we were to tell people at a conference, how, you know, y'all got a church, oh, yeah. I mean, I've heard people say, yeah, our church is really small. I'm like, well, how many? Like, oh, just like 250. I'm like, okay, so our 15 would probably be really small, micro, micro you know, small. Well, okay, so here's what's happening, though. The disciples were increasing in number. Now, the last time that they gave us a, a head count was in chapter 4, and he said the number came to about 5,000 men. So if you just triple that, you're, you're at about 15,000 if you add a woman and a child to each one of those numbers. Now, one thing you don't want to do when we're looking at numbers, you don't want to ask a pastor of the number of people in his service. Like today, if I'm just looking, I'm going to say, there's probably around 300 here today. That's just what it looks like, okay? Um, the point is this. The, the church had been increasing to the point that they weren't even given a, a head count no more. Now, when numbers increase, everything increases. Needs increase. Trials increase. Struggles increase. Correcting of sin increases. All of these things. Now, what you have here 
is you see this, this part where the number has increased. And what do we see in the church? We see this. It says, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. There's some key things here. We saw the first attack from Satan on the church. It was an outward attack. It was persecution, right? Okay, so what does that do to the church? Well, the church, what? They, they, they come together. There's a unified presence, and we come together in prayer, right? So we see outside persecution should drive the church together. But then the second attack we saw was with Ananias and Sapphira. We see sin entering into the church and we see God dealing with that and putting them to death. Now, he didn't just put them to death. They were asked the question, did you sell the land for so much? And they lied to the Holy Spirit. And God, they dropped down dead. So God is showing that I'm going to deal with sin in my church, in my body. But this one here is also inside the body. But what this does is this causes dissension among the members. And so what's happening here is you have the Hellenistic or the Greek-speaking Jews. And these would have been Jews that were, like, cast out of the, uh, Israel or something. And, and they were in these Greek-speaking. We heard Paul talk today that the Greek language was the language of the day. And so they were Greek-speaking Jews. They didn't, they didn't really practice the customs or, you know, like, like the, the native Hebrews, the native Jews did. So what happens is, is these people are coming to faith in Christ. Now, you've got to understand something. There was a real prejudice from the native Hebrews against the, the Hellenistic Hebrews. The Pharisees were one of the, the ones that were the, the toughest on them. They didn't want nothing to do with them. They were like the world. And so this is what we see. Now, also what we see is that this complaint happens, and we see them calling the twelve. Luke re- refers to him as the twelve, signifying that this had this no doubt they felt like this was something that was deliberately being done to the widows in their camp, if you want to say that. Now I want to, I want to say something real quick, church. We are instructed in Scripture to strive, to endeavor, to keep unity in the Spirit in the body of Christ. My goodness, we, we have so much stuff. I, I promise you, if people would be honest and raise their hands, has anybody ever heard, had their feelings hurt because they felt like they were left out or not included? I mean, if we're honest, we all have felt like that. I mean, we all have. And, and what does it do, man? It starts, these little walls start forming and stuff. And, and, and without realizing it, what's happening is an, an attack of Satan is coming in the church and it's, it's trying to divide. So what do we see? We see that the church is increasing. A complaint arises over the widows of the Greek-speaking Jews being neglected. So they call the twelve. And, and they called the whole, or the twelve summoned the whole congregation. Now, it says other disciples. Now, I don't know how big this was. It, it could have been upwards of 20,000 people. But here's what they, they delivered to the people. They said this. They said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. So, 
What are they saying here? Are they saying we're above serving tables? We're above caring for the widows? No, I don't think that's what they're saying at all. Okay? What they're saying is this. They say God has called us to a specific task. They were the twelve. They were the apostles. They were the ones that were laying the foundation of what we are built upon today. They were to preach. They were to teach. Listen to what he says. It's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. And he says, therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. Now, I want want to tell you something. Do you think a church, do you think God has given instructions on how the church should, should function for a good reason? Let me just tell you something today. Our church is not complete. I mean, we, we, may have, we may be doing the best we can. We may be solid on what we teach and our efforts and all of these things. But do you know that we don't have deacons in our church today? And, and do you know that what happens is, is that we find, the, the elders find that we are having to give ourselves to things that really should be designated to someone else in the body so that we can focus more clearly on prayer and preaching and teaching the Word of God. Now, aside from that, all of us have full-time jobs. It makes it much more difficult. I heard recently a pastor who had been full-time for years, went to do a church plant, and then the money fell through, and and it was like, it's it's just not right. He's going to have to go get a job. Okay, I've been there my whole life. It can be done. It, it can. It, now, is it easy? No. But church, I want to tell you something. It would be far easier if I can use that word. If I didn't have to think about this and this and this things in the body that should be for the deacons to be serving in. Okay. Now I want to say something else. In this point in particular about the widows. God speaks very strongly in the Old Testament and the New Testament about how the church, how God's people are to care for the widows. I mean, in James 1.27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their afflictions. He's not talking about if they've got a cold or, you know, a, a sore. No, he's talking about, listen, in this day and age where they're writing, these were the people who could not fend for themselves. There was no Social Security. There was no welfare. There weren't those things. And he's telling the church, you are to care for this. So then, so look at this. So to see this in the body of Christ, an absolute neglecting of certain widows simply because they were Greek-speaking and not native. It's, it's very sinful. But now the apostles have a task at hand. We need to do something. So we see this first where we're going to ordain deacons here. So, so, here, so let's, just, let's just kind of sum up this first point of, of why there was a need. First of all, the church had become so large that the apostles and the elders could not keep up with the need of the body and the preaching of the word of God and to be in prayer for that. They, they couldn't keep up. Okay, and specifically, we say that widows 
were being neglected. So the question has to ring out, how can the church effectively reach the lost when it isn't even caring for its own? So it brings us to point two. What do deacons do? Well, the simple answer is they serve the body. More specifically, they are to help, to come alongside and help the elders in the the authority of the church. Here, we believe in a plurality of elders. We believe in an elder-led congregation. I wish every church could try this. Pastors who are being burnt out will find that they're they're not going to be burnt out. I can't even begin to tell you the joy and the help, the strength that it is for me to serve alongside with my fellow elders. I'm not out here by myself. I'm not out here, you know, about to, I'll use the phrase, pull my hair out. It may not apply, but that's what it feels like sometimes. I believe that's the biblical model. I'm not going to say that, you know, you're horrible otherwise, but I'm just telling you, it's, it's something to really, to really just look at what the Word of God says. So here's the thing. They are to stand ready to serve where they are asked and also on their own to be looking to the needs of the body, and that's very important. We're looking for people who are already looking for people that they can serve. That's, that's, a, that's a very important part to remember. Now, I want to share something with you. The idea that deacons, that their job is simply they take up the money and they pay the bills and that's what they do. Well, I'll just tell you, that, that really does not come from Scripture. Okay? Now, does that say that they don't do that? No, they probably do. But that's, there's far more to it than that. For the most part, deacons, and don't be offended, but... Deacons in in Baptist circles sometimes seem to have no biblical concept of what a deacon is. Now, let me say this. I'm not trying to beat nobody up. But oftentimes we, we put people in the position of a deacon just simply because they've been around a long time. They're a good old guy. I remember when I was in going to graduate. I can remember that far back, okay? I was not the valedictorian, okay? I could brag and tell you I finished 18th in my class. The sad thing is there was 28 of us, okay? So you're thinking, wow, that's pretty cool, you know. Okay, yeah, my mom could tell you why. She takes up for me a lot. But I remember at graduation we had a valedictorian, we had a salutatorian, and they were going to give speeches. And then we had this guy called the honor student. He got a gold rope or something. He didn't give no speech. He was just kind of like the guy that you did a good job will pat you on the head. And oftentimes, that's what we do when we're looking for deacons. We're looking for, sometimes it's just the good guy that's been in the church. He's just always there. Sometimes it's, it's the guy that this guy's he's a businessman. He knows how to, he's a mover and a shaker. He knows how to do this and that. You know, I want you to know that the church is not a business. It's the living body of Christ. We're not a business. So we're not looking for good old boys. We're not looking for the guys that are the movers and the shakers. We're not even looking for the only guy available. We're looking for men who feel a burden to serve the body of Christ. 
And he's going to give us some of these qualifications in a minute. I'm not going to, I'm not going to name who this pastor is, but I got a good friend, it's a pastor. And he told me in his church, he said, my deacons, they're all like in their 80s. Okay, nothing wrong with being in your 80s. That's a good thing. Okay, I mean, you, you've made it a while. None of them are serving as deacons. He has one man in his church who serves selflessly. But when presented to the other deacons about let's make this man a deacon, he was rejected because when he was an unbeliever, he was married and divorced, so he's disqualified. Now, there's going to be differences of opinions on things like that. But what a shame. This man's doing your job. Partly it could be because they're physically unable. But here's the man that's really serving. Now, I also want to tell you this. Regardless of whether anybody officially recognizes you, if you feel that call and that burden, then by all means, serve in it. Don't do it for men to see, but do it that God will be watching you. Do it because of what Christ has done for you. And also in Baptist churches, we see deacons actually in the position of what a plurality of elders should be. Um, sometimes I'm a little naive. It's take, it takes me a long time to learn anything. I was actually called to a place one time to be the interim pastor. And so before, and I, I was pastoring a, a little home church, and so... I said, I'll tell you what, until you guys find a pastor, we'll just come alongside and we'll help. You won't have to panic about, you know, trying to find somebody to fill the pulpit. And I thought it was a great plan. I said, we're not here to take over. We're not here to, you know, take your church, nothing like that. So I even told him, I mean, I'm giving great suggestions. I even told him, I said, you know, this will give you time to really pray about, you know, the kind of leadership you want and all this. And I so I just start talking. I start reading from the Bible, and I say, you know, the 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 the, the ruling body in a, in a church is a plurality of elders. And the pastor that was leaving, he goes, well, the deacons, and I said, nope. Now my problem was, out of the five families there, four of the men there were deacons. So you can only imagine that went over by like a lead balloon. Still thought it was great advice. So anyway, listen. You need to understand something. Deacons, God did not put in the church to lead. They're not to have the authority over the church. Okay? Their name, by definition, is a servant. Okay? So, so what happens is this. What we see sometimes in, in these, these churches is where these deacons, and I always love this. I mean, you get the pulpit committee. I call it the posse. Okay? Something else, the plurality of elder helps you, you know, just get rid of that whole thing. But here's the thing. We see that they go out and they look for a young man to come and be the pastor. And they say, man, we know you're God's man for this place. Here's what we're offering. And, man, it's all great. Six months later when the guy's trying to lead and the established deacon body doesn't like it, all of a sudden this man that was sent by God, now he's the devil incarnate, you know. 
And uh, we got to get rid of him. So you see things like that. Now, listen, there's a reason that God has set up his church according to his word, according to his will. He's given us elders. He's given us deacons to work together for the good of the body. Now, here's the thing. So much of the time we see deacons operating in a position they're not. And they and, and, and at the same time, they are neglecting what they're really called to do, and that is to serve the body of Christ. It's just simply unreal what happens often. Now, I'm going to quit beating that, that horse. I think that one's done. So to continue on, what do, what do deacons do? Another question could be asked is, how did this come about? Okay. So the first reason's already stated. There were, there were certain widows being neglected. Verse 2, he tells us, he said, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Now, let me say that. This is not saying that the 12 were above serving. But what it is saying is this. I've already kind of talked on this, but I got my notes, so I'll stay with them. We've been called to preach the word. That's what the, the apostles and elders today have been called to do, to preach and to teach the word of God. The preaching of the word is always, now listen to me. The preaching, the teaching of the Word of God is always linked together permanently with prayer. Okay? Now, if the apostles were not able to pray in order that they would be able to preach or teach because of the needs of the body, then the body would not grow as it should, and the lost would not have the gospel preached unto them. It's a hard thing to look at somebody who's in need and say, I don't have time for you. I've got to go and preach. But here's the thing. That's what I've been called to do is to go preach, to go teach, to evangelize. So there's a need here. There's a need. There's people that are saying, I haven't been called to do what you're doing, but I feel a burden to serve. I'd like to be considered. You see, some of you got this idea that you want the elders to come to you and say, hey, we see this. We would like to, you to do this. That's good. But we, on the flip side, we want to see you coming to us and saying, I feel a burden to serve. Now, does that mean it's a done deal? Absolutely not. We may say, we don't feel like this is your calling. Not right now, anyway. Maybe in time, but not right now. So, you listen... I'm sorry to say it, but this generation we live in, Christianity is one of the wimpiest there's ever been. Folks, it's time to tighten up the belt. It's time to toughen up a little bit. Yeah, sometimes you're going to hear things you don't like to hear. It, it never feels good. I went through a time one time where every, I was just complaining about everything. I was complaining about the church I was in, the fact that I was an elder, and all these things, and it's all I could talk about. So I'm sharing this with my one of my best friends, and all I'm expecting from him is to say, yeah, brother, I'm with you. And he looked at me, and he said, what are you doing? He said, you're miserable, and you're making everybody around you miserable. What kind of friend is that? That's, that's a good friend. That's a good friend. Now, also what this is not saying and what deacons do is it's not saying that the apostles and the elders do not serve the body for they do but their primary calling is to be in prayer and preaching and it's also not saying that deacons do not preach and teach because we're going to see 
right after this, we're going to see Stephen preach the longest recorded sermon in the book of Acts. Now, it's not the longest sermon in Acts. Paul holds that record. He preached all night, and one dude fell out of the balcony, and you don't always want to make the Bible, okay? <laughs> that guy's got to go through eternity. Yeah, I'm the guy that fell out of the balcony. <laughs> I fell asleep in church, so it's biblical to fall asleep in church, right? Do not fall asleep. I'll call you out. So, so here's the thing. Um, what this is saying is this, to sum this up, the apostles are saying, look, you serve tables. He's saying you serve the body, the physical needs, the things that they're going through. You serve that, and we're going to serve the word of God. That's what he's really saying here. I talked to a pastor just a couple days ago. Actually, I'll be going to preach there next weekend. And he said, man, he said, it's been a tough season. He said, I've been by myself as an elder for, for some time now. And he says, now I'm down to, to one deacon. And I said, wait a second, you, you had two. He goes, yeah, one of them resigned. And he says, I find, he kind of laughed, and he says, I find that I'm an elder, but I'm also serving as a deacon, and my deacon's a deacon, but he finds himself serving as an elder. So what you're going to find is these things always kind of somewhat overlap, but there is a primary calling that God has placed upon each man. So that takes us to the third thing. What, what are the qualifications of a deacon? Who, who do we ordain? Well, we're going to look a little bit here in chapter 6, and then we're going to Look over in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now listen to this. In verse 3, he says this. He says, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men. And I want, I want to say this real quick. This is not the thing that we got to find seven men. I, I, they, they needed seven men. They might have needed more. I don't know. But, but, it's, but what happens to the church? They'll go, we've got to do seven deacons at a time. Well, we've only got six guys in the church. Okay, okay, seven is just what they needed, okay? So it's always according to what the need is in the body. But he says, select from you seven men of good reputation. So the first thing is to have a good reputation, not only inside the church, but outside the church. You don't want to have a... And this has happened right here in Asia. I know men that are deacons in churches, and they have businesses, and everybody says, they're a crook. Probably not the guy to ordain. Might be the guy you need to bring in for counseling on how to run a godly business. They need to be of good reputation. They, secondly, he says, they need to be full of the Spirit. Now, okay, this is not talking about in the wild, extreme, charismatic stuff. Do you know what it means to be full of the Spirit? It's the evidence that the Spirit has control of your life. You're peaceful, you're kind, you're gentle, you're loving, you're gracious, you're easy to be entreated. That's what it is. You're looking for men like that. And the third thing is this. He says, not only are they full of the Spirit, but and of wisdom. We want, we want men that, that have wisdom, that have a discernment. We want men that know the Word of God. That's another thing. Oftentimes, so many deacons, they, they don't know much about the Word of God. And I'm not saying that as an accusation. I'm saying that because I've visited with them. Okay, so 
We want men that have good reputation. We want men full of the Spirit. We want men filled with wisdom whom we may put in charge of this task. So you want men like this because it does us no good if we ordain men that are constantly having to come back and go, what, what do I do here? What do I do here? That's not the point. It's just like, you know, if you were, on a, if you were a, a foreman of a job and, you're, and you, you set somebody over something, you want to know that this man's able to do the job, that he has the understanding of the job, he knows how to lead in it, and he's not constantly having to come back. For every little thing. I remember going to do an offense job for a guy one time. I get out there on the job and the homeowner, I mean, this isn't my job. I'm just there to put it in. The homeowner's like, hey, can we do this? I'm like, yeah, we can do that. I'm just making changes left and right. When the owner of the company found it, he goes, wow, that's amazing. I said, what? He says, none of my other guys do that. Everybody's calling me ten times on these jobs. I'm like, I don't fly that way. Uh, no, I, I know it needs to be done. I've done these jobs. It was proven that I knew what I was doing and how to do it. So that's what we're looking for. Okay, so now real quick, I want to, I want to go over to First to, to, uh, Timothy chapter 3, and I want to look at these qualifications a little more in depth. And you're going to see how these, these things line up with... With what we're just looking at now in First Timothy, if you'll turn to chapter or, ver, or yeah, chapter three and beginning at verse eight, he's going to be instructing what we're looking for in ordaining deacons. And there's going to be four categories really. Um, the first one is this: he says deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued. Uh, they're not addicted to much wine or a fond. Or they're fond of sordid gain, okay? So the first thing is this. And we see this running right in line with what has just been said over there in Acts chapter 6. The first thing is this. He said they must be men of dignity. They must be men of, of an upright standing, good morals, men of grace, men of character. And he says not double-tongued. Not somebody that if Tim comes and asks me something, I tell him one thing. And then if Dustin Hole comes, I'm telling him something completely different. And they get together and they're like, man, this guy, what's going No, we want somebody that is, that they, they, they're solid. They know they're not going to tell this to please this person and then please them over there. They're going to make a stand. They're going to lead in a direction. They're going to say one thing and they're going to hold to it. And what does that go along with? That goes along with a good reputation, does it not? I mean, isn't it good when you talk to people and you don't have to wonder about what they said because you know them enough that if they said it, that's what they mean. They simply know that. Then he says, you don't need to be addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain. Well, I think that would go right in with full of the Spirit. Someone... Who's, you know, that, that's, that's not, listen, I, I know Baptist circles are going to hate this, but he says, not addicted to much wine. Okay, once again, you can't just say, thou shalt not drink anything. Okay, I know Baptists, boy, they hate that one, but what he's saying is, I don't want you, I don't want some guys getting drunk all the time. 
I don't want that. I don't want somebody that's greedy, somebody that might take a bribe, somebody that leans this way or that way. I want somebody that is full of the Spirit of God, somebody that walks according to the Spirit. They're not tempted to take a bribe. They're not tempted to fall into addictions. But they are someone whose eyes are focused and singled upon Jesus. Looking to the Master how to serve and serving the body like that. The next one is this, in verse 9. He says, men who hold to the mystery of, of the faith with a clear conscience. This would fall under the wisdom. It's knowing the word. It's knowing the will of God. Now, I don't mean the will of God in the sense that all the unknown things, we, that man knows that. No, what I'm talking about is what God's will is when people have a dispute. What is God's will when the Hellenistic Jews' wid- widows are being neglected by the native Hebrews? What, what is the wisdom? I mean... What's wrong, brothers? It's never a time that's going to be okay. And so we're looking for men that are full of the Spirit. And then in verse 10, he says this. He says, these men must also first be tested. What's he saying? He's saying, this must, listen, you don't just go, hey, I'd like to be a deacon. I'd like to start testing right now. No, we're, you're already being in the testing you're already being looked at. Some of you, if you came to me and said, hey, I'd like to be a deacon, I'd go, you're insane. I don't know where you got that from. Well, the Lord spoke to me. No, no, no. So, you know, now, I really wouldn't say it quite like that, okay? All right? So if you approach me, like, he may say I'm insane. No, I'm not going to do that, I promise you, okay? No, it must first be tested And then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. These things that he's looked at, if they're beyond that. Now, does this mean that these guys are without sin? No. Neither are your elders. Does it it mean that that they're not going to make mistakes? Sure, they are. But we're talking about a pattern of a lifestyle is what we're talking about. Okay? Every one of us have those road bumps where it's like, I don't know what just happened, man. I just lost my mind. Temporary insanity. But he says, let these things first be tested and then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Then we get to verses 11 and 12. And these are a little bit um, contentious today. I am reading from the New American Standard, and I do not like the translation here. Okay? So I'm going to read it like I was reading my New King James or my ESV or my King James. Their wives must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Because he says the deacons must be husbands of only one wife. And good managers of their children in their own households. Church, I want to ask you something. Is the word of God sufficient for all time, all times, and all peoples in all times? Does it change? 
We, we, we seem to, to there, there is a, a, a rising up right now. Oh, gosh, man, it, to have, you know, Donald Trump. Okay, he's not a great guy. Ah, he spends a lot of money on that hair, but it ain't even great hair, you know. But what does he always talk about? Oh, he's a misogynist. Oh, he's this. He's a woman. All this stuff, okay? Here, here's the problem. You, you start Now, listen, he may be all those things. I'm not saying yay or nay, but what I am saying is this. Our culture, the media, social media, you name it, for years now, it has been downplaying the family. It has been downplaying the role of men, the role of husbands, the role of fathers. And what we're seeing creep into the church is we're allowing the world to tell us, you're not doing things right. What am I talking about? Has Ron lost his mind? We're seeing more and more. The argument is this. Is this verse teaching? As it says in the, in the, in the New American Standard, it says women must likewise be dignified. Now, the reason it says that, and no matter which translation you use, there's a number there. And if you have a reference Bible, it'll take you down, and it'll say this could either be women or it could be wives. It, that word could be used either way. And that's true. But what, what rules in interpreting Scripture? I used to tell them in the prison. I'd go to prison ministry. And you've got to tell this in the prison, I promise you. All right, guys, when we're, when we're teaching the Word of God, the first rule you want to remember is context. And the second rule is context. And if you can't remember those first two, just remember number three, and it's context. Okay? I was trying to make a point to him, hoping they're writing it down. He's talking, listen to what it starts off. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity. Back in verse 8, men of dignity. He goes down, and in this qualifications, what's he saying? He's saying, also your wives need to be dignified. Women of grace. They need to not be malicious gossips. They need to be ladies who would encourage and instruct to godliness for other ladies in the church. They need to be temperate. Self-controlled is what he's saying. And they need to be faithful in all things. And what are they all things? Well, that's pretty broad, isn't it? They need to be faithful as a wife. They need to be faithful as a mother. They need to be faithful as a sister. And that would go to all, every one of us in here that would come to. Well, there's a lot later on old deacon's wife, man. She's got to be faithful in all things. Glad I'm not one of them, you know. No, no, everybody's to be faithful in all things. But he's emphasizing something because what if you, and this would even apply, even though it doesn't mention the elders' wives, it would apply there too. Have you ever seen a pastor or an elder in a church, and he's a great guy that everybody goes, man, he's awesome, but man, his wife, it's terrible, isn't it? And that's what he's simply saying here. Let me read this to you. Recently, in, in Reformed and Baptist churches, there's been a push for women to be included in the leadership roles. This does, not, this does not come from Scripture, but this comes from the world shouting at the church that you're, you're being unfair. Now, am, am I one of those chauvinist guys? 
Can I not learn from women? You better believe I can. I'm standing right here today. From, From a lot of prayers from my mom and dad for one thing, but a lot of conversations on the phone trying to explain to my mom that you have to have works to go to heaven. And her not budging and saying, Ron, it's by grace, it's by what Jesus did. I'd say, God, have mercy on her. And she's praying, Lord, have mercy on him. Yes. But did God ever, do we ever see, when we see in the beginning in the Garden of Eden, he made man. And what did he do? He made him a helper. It is not about a better or less role. It is about the God-given roles that God has called you to. We live in such a world of confusion. Men don't know they're men. Women don't know they're women. They don't know which bathroom to use. And then I'm going to go to jail because I'm just trying to help you out here. No, you're really a guy. I hate that person. I made him feel so bad. Really just trying to help. Church, let, let me just let me just tell you this, okay? I want you to remember this. When you're dealing with topics that are you read this and you go, well, it could be wives, it could be women, okay? Always remember this. I've got I've got like four little rules here that you hold to. The passages that are clear, the ones that are clear. You hold tightly to. You grab a hold of it with everything you got. The passages that are less clear, well, you view those in light of the ones that are clear. You also do this. You never make a leap based on a passage that is less clear because of pressure from the outside. I don't care if everybody popular on the radio, if all the popular preachers are saying this. The last thing I'd say to do is look at the people in history. I'd say, oh, yeah, Spurgeon didn't say it. George Mueller didn't say it. Jonathan Edwards didn't say it. I mean, those guys just didn't have enough light shed on them. One thing we don't do, we don't let the pressure from the world and from liberal Christians dictate what we're going to teach and preach. And I will promise you this. This is not a popular stance to be in. So if you're looking for popularity and to be liked by everybody, go with with the flow. I choose to stand with what I believe the Word of God is teaching. And I want to tell you this. When you start making... Little compromises. You see, you've opened the floodgate. And once that gate's open, you don't get the right to shut it. You see, you may have just simply said, well, I I think women can serve as a deaconess or something. Because, you know, Phoebe, in the Greek, it calls her a deaconess. Yeah, she was a servant in the church. There's nothing that tells us she was an ordained deacon in the church. Nothing. But once you open that up, see, you may only go this far. 
But the next guy that comes along, well, he goes a little further with it, and you're over there freaking out now. And then the next guy goes a little further, and then all of a sudden you go, I really made a mistake back here. I let people dictate to me the way how this should go. I love men like Paul Washer. When Paul Washer got popular from preaching a message that he felt like would probably just end his preaching career, well, mainstream stream Christianity, they don't really care what you're doing as long as it will sell, sickening as it is. Some big movers and shakers came to Paul Washer, and they said, hey, we can take your ministry, and we can make it international. We can even make it all over the world. And he said, you get that stuff out of my face. See, if, you want, if your name needs to be known internationally, nationally, in the world, there's only one person that needs to be doing that, and that's God himself. That's it. So listen to this. So he says this. He says, The women or wives must likewise be dignified, ladies of grace, not malicious gossips, temperate, faithful in all things. And the deacons, listen, they must be husbands of only one wife, meaning they are a one-woman man, that, that, you, that you view your wife stronger than you did the day that you met her. Man, I, I, can, remember, I can remember seeing my wife for the first time. I was like, who is that? I can remember actually getting nervous when she walked into this little place we'd eat burgers. I was at work. And then you go through this horrible thing as a teenager trying to act cool. But I can remember that, but I'll tell you this. I love her more today, and I'm more attracted to her today. I'll embarrass her probably again than I was even then. You want to be a one-woman man. And then he says this, he says, they need to be good managers of their children and their own households. It's not saying your children are perfect. It's not saying anything like that. But what it's saying is you as a husband, you as a father, you are loving and leading your wife. You are loving and leading your children biblically. Not like Pharisees, but I mean lovingly doing it. And then look what he says this. For those who have served well as deacons, Obtain for themselves a high standing. What do you think? What do you think this high standing is? It could be in the church, but I think they, they got a high standing in the sight of the Lord. You know why? No matter how much, when when Jesus' disciples and they said. Which, which one of us is the greatest? He says, you want to be the greatest? Well, here's how you do it. You be the servant of all. The guys who have taken the road to say, I'll serve, I'll do it in humility, I'm not going to sound a trumpet. We've got, we've got people in this church that do things that 99% of you don't know about. And they'll say, I don't want anybody to know that I'm doing this. They'll, they'll attain to themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. Because they've come alongside and they said, I'm willing to serve. 
And I just want to say this again. I say this a lot when I'm talking about serving and stuff. I hear so many people sometimes, and it's such a nice little fuzzy saying. It's usually like, well, I just have a servant's heart. You want to know how you have a servant's heart? And this is rough. See how you react when you're treated like a servant. Probably that little, I just got a servant's heart, goes right out the window. See if you still act like a servant when somebody treats you like a servant. And you don't get recognition for being a servant. But that high standing is still with God because God recognizes exactly what you did. Now, what is all this for in the book of Acts? Well, remember the book of Acts was what? What have we been called to do? We've been called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, have we not? You go back over there in chapter 6. And he says in verse 4, after they're talking about these qualifications, they said, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation, the whole body. And they chose Stephen. A man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And they chose Philip. And these two men we read about in the book of Acts. They chose Prochorus. And Nicanor. And Timon. And Parmenas. And he was also known as Pumbaa. In some circles, no. Every time I read that, I'm sorry, it just comes out. And they chose Nicholas, who was a proselyte from Antioch. So we see the first, like, non-Jew being, I mean, a guy that was a proselyte. He's part of this. And these they brought before the apostles. They looked at their lives. They had tested. They, they, had, they had passed the test, and they brought them before the apostles. And after praying, everything is bathed in prayer. And after praying, they laid their hands on them, signifying that we believe God has his hand on them. And we are in agreement with God that these are the men that are qualified and called. And here's the sum of everything that's going on. Here's why. Verse 7. The word of God kept on spreading. The work was continuing. It's like there was this... It was going, and all of a sudden, there was a breakdown. And they said, we can't do all this. Even the apostles could not do it all. We need help. And once this was put in order, according to the Word of God, the Word of God kept on spreading. And the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. There is something to be said. When we say, I believe the word of God is sufficient. There is something to be said for people, for leaders, for elders, for deacons, for churches who say, I don't care what the popular thing is in the world. I don't care how we've done it for a hundred years. This is what the word of God says and we're going to hold to that and trust Him. 
The word of God kept spreading the gospel. I don't know everybody in here today where you're at with the Lord. If you don't know him, repent. The reason we're able to preach this, the reason we're able to teach this is because Jesus died on a cross for my sins, for your sins. You want to be a part of this, this body of Christ, then you're going to have to die. You're going to have to come to him broken and saying, save me. If you do know him today and you've not been striving to serve him, repent today. And if you feel that call today to serve as a deacon, seek God, find your elders and let them know. Father, I just want to come before you and I pray, God, that, Lord, that you would, uh, you just take your word, God, and you would, uh, you would get glory for yourself. I, I pray, I'm thankful for our church and I pray for our church today. Thank, thank you, God, that we're not what, we're not all that we can be, we're, but we're not what we used to be. And in that, Lord, you are fulfilling your promise that you're going to complete this work that you started. You're conforming us to the image of Christ. Let us be faithful in whatever calling that is. And we praise your name today in Jesus' name. Amen.